0: Hello and welcome, my name's Chris. I'm Brett. And we're here to talk about the powers of hell and how they actually got it wrong in the movies. So, in case you've been listening to Fanboy Theology, we kind of go into uh, the intersection of theology and the biblical nature of a narrative. So, the Bible has a narrative going through it, and it has a message. And ultimately, if we look into movies, almost every movie, at least every good movie that you can watch, has one lesson that it teaches. And it it should focus on this one lesson in all of the aspects, every scene, every character. It needs to be aiding itself to that one lesson. So when we talk about the powers of hell, we're actually gonna be looking at five movies just simply because uh, hell is in the mythos of our culture, of our world. That that idea of not only is there an afterlife, that there's a place in the afterlife where punishment happens, but you know, a lot of the times when we go watch the portrayal of this place that is in many other world religions, not just Christianity and not just in the Bible, uh, they get it wrong. They're they're looking at it from a different way than uh, what the Bible portrays this real place of hell as. And as we'll find out later on as we talk, it's very easy to get confused when you read about hell in the Bible because there's many different words that uh that is translated in our English Bible as the word hell um, but is an actual actuality and a-, a completely separate other compartment than this eternal place where punishment
1: happens yeah well I mean you have a lot of different interpretations from different religions that get like almost interwoven
0: mm-hmm yeah most definitely because you have Hebrew, well, the Old Testament written in Hebrew, they kind of all had one unified look at it, so we'll, we'll see it a little bit more clearer in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament we have a thousand more years of Greek culture, of Roman culture, of uh, Zoroastrianism all coming within the. so the Bible takes place in, <laughs> let's just get down to basics, the Bible takes place in a, a, a place that's known as the Fertile Crescent. It's in the Mediterranean Sea and it's largely in Three places Egypt, Babylon, which is present day uh, Iraq, Iran, like that, that it's a huge empire, so, and it switched hands many times, but then also Israel. So there's, many different other religions and cultures coming through, specifically Israel, which was used as a buffer state between African civilizations, European civilizations, and Asian civilizations, all basically. It's all that intersection. Yeah, and so a lot of war happens, but then also a lot of uh, economic and religious changing of hands. So we read the New Testament written in Greek, and we find Greek words being used for Uh, hell and underworld and uh, the place we go when we die. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, I mean,
1: not only just Greek but then also Aramaic. Oh, yeah. The fact that that comes with a mixing of cultures in itself just the origin of that language.
0: Yeah. So now, fast forward to modern day. All of this coming together into finally, we're going to go talk about this subject, hell, but in these five movies, so somebody could easily get wrong what we know of this very real place hell. So we're going to start with the penultimate story that you think of when you think of hell and that's Dante's Inferno and a lot of pop culture has been influenced by what Dante wrote about hell not necessarily what we read about in the Bible.
1: Well, and not just pop culture but a lot of the literature from the time that Dante wrote that throughout to present day It's relying on what he wrote in that.
0: Yes. I mean, you know, circles of hell and layers of hell. that, That straight up is coming from Dante's Inferno. We have no evidence that there are layers of hell in the Bible. However, Dante, if you look closely and when you read this, there's characters of Dante's modern day who have died and gone to this place. And Dante is basically writing a political satire when he's writing Dante's Inferno. So this is nothing to base our portrayal of hell off of. Now, they did get one thing right. Satan is chained up in hell. And that that's right. That's a biblical, accurate portrayal. Hell is not a a party. It's not the
1: Simpsons cartoons.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and definitely there's no pitchforks. But... That idea that hell is a prison for Satan and his minions, and also the people who are not faithful—that's that's the real look at hell that we see in the Bible. Now, Dante's Inferno was a long time ago, but we see uh, four movies that are that portray hell or portray Satan that we're going to take a look at.
1: First one would be End of Days. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger versus. Satan,
0: why not? Oh, my gosh. If One thing from that movie that I treasure, it's watching Satan get shot by a grenade launcher. It, it, the rest of the movie, like, yeah, it didn't get critical acclaim, of course, because it's an Arnold movie, although it holds a special place in my heart because it's an Arnold Arnold movie. But uh, the, And it also didn't really do well at the box office, but it was a fun watch. Yeah. Let's just say that.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing that's cool about it, too, is it plays around with the interpretation of the millennial reign.
0: Yes, it's a if... different
1: interpretation and so that, I mean that's it's not accurate biblically, yeah. but it's interesting the way that people outside of Christianity kind of interpret those things just on face value without really digging into
0: it. Specifically Revelation, which that's where we find the millennial reign of Christ, not Satan. But there's a couple of backflips that they do, and I believe it's a scene where they're in the bottom of a church and all of these, the secret order of priests is guarding against the, it's not even the Antichrist, it's like Satan's son, Mm. who he Satan will rise after a thousand years, and uh, go and ta- go and impregnate a woman, and then that is going to bring about his rule on Earth. Something like that. Yeah. That's not it's not no. even close. No, it, like it, again, great story, not true at all, not biblical. But I, I mean, with all of the Y two K scares that were going on and whatever. But I noticed they it was it was released in 1999, and so they had to do a couple other backflips to prove. Oh well, the year 2000 is not actually. The new millennium it's 1999 or something like that what okay it's because you wanted to make this year's christmas uh movie release i get it but uh again fun movie watch it it's pretty fun to watch arnold kick the crap out of satan quite a few times
1: i think another thing with the movie is that it doesn't overtly say this but it plays into it in people's interpretation that heaven and hell are in competition with one another. Dualism. Yeah, that dualism comes into play when they're interpreting, oh, the millennial reign could also be Satan having a millennial reign versus Jesus. It's just a matter of who wins that war. So that's, that's an interesting... Yeah, and that, that whole idea of
0: dualism comes from that mixture of bunch of religions. And the first one that comes off the top of my head is Zoroastrianism, of that that was you have a good God and you have a bad God. It's not God and Satan in the Christianity sense, but they're, they're at war with each other and one of them will prevail. And, and it's, it, it, that's not what it's like in the Bible, but there's a whole belief structure around that.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you have almost aspects of um, Hinduism even in that.
0: Correct. Yeah. Well, and it was from that area. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and uh, side note, way side note, rabbit trail of the idea that the Magi were Zoroastrians. Uh, no, that that's that's uh, <laughs> that's bunk. Simply because that doesn't fit it within the overarching narrative of the Bible. If we look closely, where are they coming from? They're coming from old Babylon area. The Zoroastrianism was a little bit farther east, but also think about it. Where else do we see a group of dream interpreters and stargazers From Babylon. Right,
1: it's all out of Daniel.
0: Exactly. So this is probably... And we leave Daniel, and Daniel's in charge of all of those guys. Yeah. So it's not... Well, and that
1: that sets up for why they would even have...
0: A hope for the Messiah. That
1: hope for the Messiah and that prophecy to look forward to, to know, oh, we're looking for a sign.
0: Yes. And so, again, that's why it's not that, and it's a little bit more closer to what biblical theology is. And, another thing, before we get off this rabbit trail, the idea that it was three wise men is not true either. We don't see any evidence that the, it's even numbered. However, we do see evidence that these guys are coming from a rival nation of the Roman Empire. So when Herod is, he's basically shaking in his boots, because and it's, not, it's not only these wise men, they're probably coming with a military contingent. The Bible says that the entire town or the entire city was in an uproar of like what's going on oh
1: because, yeah they're gonna be rolling in with an entourage
0: exactly and so when they roll up to Jesus specifically don't picture the, the it, that, that manger scene is just simply to sell manger scenes at Christmas time so you don't <laughs> this it, is
1: slowly devolved into a Christmas podcast yeah whoops, whoops. <laughs> so alright go,
0: going back going back back on track so uh also, that was End of Days, but there's another movie, kind of not well known, but I, I liked it in watching it, called The Devil's Advocate. And in this, we kind of see that old, early 90s, late 80s trope of the businessman's the bad guy, so naturally, if you're going to do a movie about Satan, and you need... To figure out how do we portray him as a
1: bad guy. To make him the businessman.
0: Exactly. So, uh, Al Pacino, Satan, Keanu Reeves, and Charlize Theron, spoiler alert, I'm sure you're never going to watch this movie if you haven't already seen it, but they are the, the offspring of Satan, and one of them, he wants them to take over the family business of being evil. So... That idea of Satan's a businessman, we're going to see in other movies, but I just wanted to mention it as that's one of the first times I saw him in a business suit. And uh, I mean, just worth mentioning, in Ghostbusters, originally Gozer, the the uh, the model Gozer was going to be off of was a businessman, and it was going to be uh, actually Pee Wee Herman playing Gozer, but that, that idea... Could have been a lot, yeah. That just <laughs> not takes best all idea. of the
1: spook out of Gozer. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, I, I like the choice they went with. However, just to let you know, that's not a original thought. Everybody would love to think of Satan as a businessman. Or again, as Pee-wee Herman. Or as Pee-wee Herman, <laughs> ew. Uh, but, the, again, Satan's not a businessman. He's not dealing in souls. And, in fact, I think, it, uh, what's that Brendan Fraser movie? Uh, Bedazzled? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Bedazzled. Great line. Not a good, uh, all right movie, but great line of Brendan Fraser's in prison. There's an unnamed person sitting next to him, and Brendan's all down because he sold his soul, and then that unnamed person says, you can't sell your soul. It's not your property to sell, because it's God's property. So, great great idea, and... uh, The whole idea of selling your soul, I I, I think that's the closest we can get to an actual truth about selling your soul.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of, I mean, just from what I remember reading, a lot of that terminology and idea of selling your soul, I think, came out of Puritan movements and witch trials. I I wouldn't doubt it.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so, Devil's Advocate, just worth mentioning for the businessman aspect. Now, we're still keeping in the vein of Keanu Reeves here because Constantine. So, Constantine, I say, is the second best portrayal of Satan I've seen in all of cinema. And, and it's, uh, I always forget his name. It's the Russian dude from Armageddon and brilliantly played. He's just one of those side characters of, or, or side actors that you know who he is, but you just don't know his name. The way he describes torturing people, and I've got a whole theme park of tortures for you, for Constantine, who's obviously been a thorn in Satan's side the entire time he's been on earth. So he's dead, and now he's going to hell because he never got to see the the true way of going to heaven. He just kind of saw it all as a balancing act. If I do more good things, if I deport more well, demon half-demons back Originally,
1: he's being sent to hell because of...
0: He he was a suicide. A suicide, yeah. Which
1: in of itself it's Catholic Catholic is, yeah, mythology,
0: Catholic, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and all of that. Which in the end, the lesson is he he does a sacrifice just like Jesus. Satan acknowledges it, and he's starting to go back to heaven. And instead, Satan pulls pulls the lung cancer out of Constantine's lungs, and now he's healed. And it's an even worse punishment because he's back on Earth because he hated being
1: on Earth. Yeah. Um, but, well, and this is another movie that that deals specifically with that battle between heaven and hell. Yes, it's the dualism,
0: and they take it a little bit even farther of uh, is the the balance, yeah. the, and the idea that angels well, and stay there's in heaven. a bet
1: between heaven and hell, yeah. of who will win
0: and that, if left alone. So the balance, it, it's not found in the Bible, but angels stay in heaven, devils stay in hell, and then these half-breeds, kind of like half-human, half-angel, half-human, half-demon, they can come on earth, and it's they're in charge of shepherding humans into their domain for... I, I think I got this impression that there will be a face-off one day, basically, between heaven and hell, when all humans are dead, and it, they're basically building their armies. Uh, so, okay, I get it. Um, so... Constantine, worth mentioning, just simply because the portrayal of Satan is awesome in how much he hates humans. Mm -hmm. However, Satan's not in charge of hell. So, yeah, he would like to torture you in hell, but Satan will be the one who is being tortured in hell. And that brings up a point of Satan's domain is earth. It's not hell. Satan legally has rights over earth right now. And even his title is the prince of the power of the air. We see that in the Bible. So this idea that he's in hell and he's ruling from hell and that's where evil comes from, that's that's not it. Uh, Satan, Satan's domain until the events of Revelation is here, earth. This is his, all of the stuff going down and all the evil, that's Satan doing it. He's legally in charge of earth. So uh, again, Constantine, Uh, satan's not in charge of hell but it it is a very good portrayal of his character by the guy from armageddon (laughs) we'll leave it at that (laughs) we're not going to do that research Uh, so the the best portrayal of satan vigo mortensen in the prophecy which it's it's got uh christopher walken as gabriel gabriel is leading another uh rebellion so satan or lucifer let's use the proper names Lucifer leads one rebellion, and then Gabriel leads another, and so even more chaos is going on between heaven and hell and earth, and earth just happens to be the battleground. So why—we don't really even see hell. It's really—it's a really low-budget movie, you can tell, so you're not really even going to see much of that—the politics of, side of heaven and hell— However, you're going to see the chilling portrayal Viggo Mortensen has as he's just talking about his hatred of humans. That, that alone, just to watch it, it, is insane to watch. But again, most of the theology is wrong about heaven and hell. It's just worth mentioning because they got the character of Satan absolutely right. And I mean, if you if you can check that out, do it. I mean, Elias Coteus is. Awesome, just like he is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is Casey Jones. However, it, it, it's he, his story, to me, is the coolest story we have if we want to do a Christian worldview movie of your he, he's a priest, he ends up having a vision of the second falling of angels, basically, and it shakes him so much to the core that he he's, there's no way that can happen if God's so loving, so therefore I'm not going to be a priest anymore, and he becomes a detective. So then now he gets thrust back into it, even though they call it the gift of prophecy. That's why he saw that vision. Uh, he, he's now a detective, and he's walking along trying to find, find this murderer who's killing people, and then it stumbles him, all back, him back into this whole uh, realm where he now has to tap back into his uh, prophecy power. So, very cool story. Not biblical at all, but a fun watch.
1: I think the big thing with all of these movies is that they've adapted their view of heaven and hell to fit their story. Yes. And a, Instead of allowing the view of actual heaven and hell to influence it. They have what they want to do, and so they shift everything around to fit. That's why you have... As a filmmaker, you yeah, should do that. Yeah. It's, But, I mean, that's... That's why some of the things and statements that are given in these movies are like mm. so bizarre and off and just they make you go, wait, what? Yeah.
0: Well, and let's say this, it's not, it's very hard to do a story in a Christian worldview about these things and not have it be exciting Or, and and have it be exciting, because we know the end. In the end, God, it's not dualism, it's God created everything. He created Satan, or he created Lucifer, and then Lucifer rebelled. He created Adam, and Adam rebelled. All God needs to do is unmake them. However, God limits himself by his love, and I wouldn't even call that a limit. He it's just part of his character, and he does not violate his character. So how do you even put God? Look, at most of these stories ignore God entirely. I mean, we meet Satan in, in uh, Constantine. We don't meet God. We meet Satan in almost all of these, and we don't meet God. Because how do you show this right. being? It's, it's
1: easier to characterize Satan than it is to give an accurate characterization of God.
0: Yes. Again, the the filmmakers are trying to do their jobs. They're trying to tell a good story. So yeah, you're right. They would rather alter theology because they're not. Their job is not to preserve proper theology. It's just simply, hey, I want to make an entertaining movie that hopefully adheres to film guidelines in a narrative framework. Great. Go do it. Yeah. Go do what you need to do. Just make sure that you make a good movie. That's fine. Now. We're theologians <laughs> in, in on this podcast, so we're going to go talk about the actual truth behind these things, because actually, there's five words in the Bible that are translated to one English word, or hell, and that's difficult. To, to, to explain all of these things and then just to f- pigeonhole it into one word, that, that's, that's unfair to the text.
1: Well, and it's really a problem with English. Yes. Because... If you look at a lot of other languages, they have multiple different words for specific concepts. English likes to say, eh, we're going to throw them all into one thing. Yes. And then use that word whenever we want. Yes.
0: Well, and go look at many of the the Greek statements of whenever it says, be strong. And, and look at when it's in relation to God is asking us to be strong. We don't have words for this, so it—but— in Greek, when you're reading that sentence, that sentence, or that little part of that sentence, and it says, "Be strong," it is telling you, not only actively be strong, but continually be strong." And that strength, the source of it, does not come from you. And that's all told in two words in the Greek. Right. Yet we, we throw it in "be strong." Like that, what? It, okay. it doesn't even really portray it well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that being said, Greek is the perfect portrayal of the New Testament and even the Septuagint working of the Hebrew we find that most of the disciples and Jesus when they'd say a quote they're saying it from the Septuagint so that's their Old Testament when they're reading it so Greek is a great language to do it Hebrew's still very good because it's it's but it's not as specific as Greek right so revelation 20:14 then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire this is the second death, the lake of fire. So now you know Lake of Fire. That's that is the eternal punishment that God has deemed for the for Satan and his minions. Right. It's
1: the it's a classic picture of what we kinda of in our mind's eye see when we say hell. Yes. It's that idea of fire and flames and
0: Yes. So so If I were to really read this in in actual English, now the translators did a pretty good job with this translation right here, but if I were to read this in English and the current concept of what hell is, technically, I'm going to say, then hell and hell were thrown into hell. Like that, that makes zero sense because we only have one concept of hell. Now, we're going to talk about what the afterlife is happening right here, specifically hell, in, in that concept of it's not heaven, contrasted with heaven. So we're not even going to get into heaven today because hell is there's just so much to talk about with hell. So hell, meaning the eternal punishment of evil, does not exist right now in our conventional understanding. I, I realized this the other day when I was reading. How many people are in hell right now? The answer is zero. Right. Because hell, the lake of fire, eternal punishment, meaning there's no coming back from it, Nobody is in it right now, right. because in Revelation, we're told, and in fact, when, uh, when I read Revelation 20 and 14, that's what we're talking about, is that final judgment when God makes, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment, and God makes the decision on who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. That is a future event. It has not happened yet. So nobody right now is in the eternal punishment of hell. Right. So sheol, the grave, it's the Hebrew word for uh, life after death. Because in, in the Hebrew sense... They never questioned that, well, there is a sect of Judaism that does not believe that anything afterlife exists. It's called the Sadducees. We see them in the New Testament. But they also don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in anything supernatural, right. They basically. cut out a lot of... Yeah, so essential doctrine, tossed to the side, and obviously they're not going to like any of the movie or movies or book that we mentioned here today because it all has to do with the supernatural. Um, but Sheol, so the traditional sense of Sheol... Every Hebrew understood that when you died, there was life after
1: it. Right, and they usually divided that into two different places.
0: Correct, and even in the New Testament, we see Jesus talking about this place. And it literally, the Sheol, the grave, is split into two compartments. And I mean, you kind of get the sense of this. There's a good place and there's a bad place. And uh, Jesus is talking about, you could think of this as a parable except notice something that happens in all of other Jesus' parables. Nobody's named. It's always the woman hid a pearl in in a uh, a field, or a man sold all of his possessions and bought a field when he found a pearl. I'm always going to the pearl ones right now. So here's Jesus saying this weird story, and he goes, Lazarus and the rich man. So not Lazarus that was raised from the dead, but a poor beggar. It's
1: the first time that he uses a specific person.
0: Yes. And so, indicate indicating this is not a parable. This is a real event happening. And of course, in that story, Jesus is talking about how Lazarus dies and a rich man or Lazarus spends his whole life outside of a temple begging because uh, he's he's a beggar. Uh, and then a rich man walks by, thinks he's all that, and then one day both of them die. Well, Lazarus winds up in this place called Abraham's bosom, and the rich man winds up in this place called perdition. So she, the grave, what Jesus is talking about there, in this two compartments in life after death, before Jesus died and was resurrected, these two compartments housed the Old Testament saints and not-so-saint-like people. So the Old Testament saints, including Lazarus, someone who had faith, Uh, he was in Abraham's bosom, or paradise. So when Jesus actually says, today you will be with me in paradise, he's referring to Abraham's bosom, because Jesus doesn't lie, and he said, that day this will happen. Well, uh, so Jesus and the thief went to Abraham's bosom, and you'll see in the Apostles' Creed and in various biblical scriptures, it says he went and preached to the spirits. And so in the Apostles' Creed where it says he descended to the dead a lot of those will translate it he just he descended into hell he did not descend into hell he that's a, it's more accurate to say he descended to the dead he went to that place preached to all of these people who had had faith in god and were waiting for the messiah and he just said hey i'm it it's jailbreak time guys and so people in abraham's bosom were then jailbroken by Jesus. And in fact, in a really weird scripture that's not often mentioned on your Sunday sermons, it says, those Old Testament saints walked around in Jerusalem and were seen by many. Mm -hmm. First zombie movie, baby. (laughs) No, uh, but then also, there's this other word, and this is getting into a little bit of the narrative of the Bible that, again, is not often talked about, and it's Tartarus. And Tartarus is another Greek word, but it's, it's used for the pit. And this pit is mentioned in Revelation as the place where a bunch of demons are imprisoned, where Apollyon is their master, and they're released. There's 200 million of them in this prison, and uh, we just wanted to outline that simply because that's another underworld where it could be, and it's also translated as hell in a lot of pla- in in that place in some translations. So, just worth mentioning. Um. And and that idea of demon, so hell is empty, Gehenna is empty, but this place is filled, and they're going to get released on Earth. We've been dealing with for a millennia, or for millennia, the JV team of demons. This is the varsity team, and they are locked up for some reason, and that's a whole other podcast to get into, which we won't get into. Um, but. So finally, we might get
1: into it, but just not right now. Yeah, we might get into it,
0: just not right now. But Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven in a traditional sense, just simply because there's so much more to talk about in the underworld or the pre-heaven afterlife. So just for the sake of talking about it, the, I, I want to say this one thing about heaven is the biblical, defini- the biblical definition of heaven is also different from the traditional sense. In, in Constantine, it's his retirement plan. He even calls it as such. And it's what a large amount of the populace consider heaven is, is a retirement plan. It's where good people go when they die.
1: Right. It's the idea that if you put enough good works into what you do in your life, then that's why you go to heaven. It doesn't actually pull from the faith of scripture
0: yes and that is a result of so many other religions coming into the the israel and mixing with christian theology judaism like all of these things coming together of a balance right it's not a balance of good and evil it's if you have done one iota of evil that makes you an evil person and to a holy god which we can't even comprehend that. God is so pure that any ounce of corruption is abhorrent in his sight. We, can, we don't see that. We just say, oh, no, 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 look, look, I'll I'll put a Band-Aid over it. No, God knows it's there, and he will not allow that in his presence. And heaven is just simply put, being in the presence of God, pure and simple. Right. That
1: um, I think a lot of that idea comes out of in the Roman Empire, Christianity being made the official religion. And so a lot of the priests and other religions that were in the empire wanted to kind of keep their jobs. And oh, so yeah. kind of twisted things around to kind of still have it fit what they believed. Yes. But just gave it different names. Rabbit Trail, really quick.
0: I'm sorry, there's so many of them this time. But you see that in Revelation. Now, there's this thing that they keep mentioning in Revelation called Mystery Babylon, and it's that idea of the priest, this grouping of priests, and I don't even want to call them priests because they are not worthy of that name, but it's the priests follow the money. That's it. They follow money, they follow power. And when Constantine made the decision, not John Constantine, <laughs> Keanu Reeves, when, when, when Emperor Constantine II made the decision to make Christianity the state religion, well, guess what? They did it out of self-preservation. They didn't do it because they were actually becoming Christians. They did it because, well, now Christianity has the power, so all I need to do is fake it. And so all of this stuff, Mystery, mystery Babylon it has been the problem with the church with Israel with everything that's been that has happened in biblical events we see this quote unquote character of right. mystery babylon well
1: and it ties into the mystery religions that Correct. were going on at the time that held the belief that oh there's a secret knowledge that only a few of us have but you can kind of join our group and we might let you know some okay. of it
0: for the low payment of 999 a month right um, but That, we see that now today, (laughs) and it's still here.
1: Nothing has changed.
0: Exactly. So, also, you know the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believe in him, they shall have everlasting life. Whoa, did you think I said that wrong? Well, I didn't. We've all been saying it wrong. We replace everlasting life with eternal life. That's not what's said in the Bible. The difference between them is that everlasting life begins at the moment of faith. It doesn't begin when you die. It's not a retirement plan. It's pure and simple, everlasting life that begins the day you have faith. And now we have a responsibility to submit every part of our lives in obedience to God as if his kingdom is already realized on this earth. That's why we love one another. That's why we love our enemy. That's why despite of the fear being peddled to you every day, we are able to fear not. That's what everlasting life means, is heaven, the reality that we will experience when we die, it starts now. And you don't have to die to experience it. You begin to live your reality as if it was right now, because it is.
1: Well, and when we do that and we're living that way, that's when other people around us are going to see the difference of Christ in our lives. And they're going to see that life eternal laid out in us and that's going to be the draw when they understand okay i can have this or i can have
0: hell temporary yeah yeah so all that being said do an investigation go read your bibles like in the in your bible you will see in the margins the distinction of the words being used almost any good bible will have that i want to even say the cheapy ones will have references to hey we're calling this word hell, it really says Tartarus, or we, we say this word hell, it's really Sheol, and the grave. All of those are completely different words, but also, go look at, again, John 3.16, we often will go in and view something or read something and inject our own belief system into it instead of objectively reading what it's trying to tell us. Like I said at the beginning, filmmakers are trying to tell a story, the Bible's trying to tell a story, and the idea that the Holy Spirit has guided 66 books, 40 authors that over the course of a couple thousand years, yet he's the script supervisor the entire time, that all of these guys brought their own style, their own parables, their own figures of speech yet the Holy Spirit guided every single word of it. You I mean, if you
1: guys have other movies that you've seen or books that you've read that give interesting views of heaven and hell or correct ones, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, check us out at fanboytheology.com or go ahead and email us at fanboytheology@gmail.com, at gmail.com or uh, just leave a comment uh, there on iTunes and we'll get to you. Yeah. So hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week.
1: I promise.